Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I wanted to explore some of the history of Memorial Day as this podcast episode is going to air on Memorial Day weekend. I thought it would be interesting to explore some of the history and origins of this important holiday. So three years after the Civil War ended on May 5, 1868, the head of the Organization of Union Veterans, which was called the Grand Army of the Republic, G.A.R., established Decoration Day as a time for the nation to decorate the graves of the war dead with flowers. Major General John A. Logan declared it should be on May 30th. Now, it's believed that that date was chosen because flowers would be typically in bloom all over the country during that time. The first large observance was held that year at Arlington National Cemetery, across from the Potomac River from Washington, D.C. The ceremony centered around mourning-draped veranda of the Arlington Mansion, once the home of General Robert E. Lee. Various Washington officials, including General and Mrs. Ulysses S. Grant, presided over the ceremonies. After speeches, children from the Soldiers and Sailors Orphan Home and the members of the GAR made their way through the cemetery, strewing flowers on both Union and Confederate graves, reciting prayers, and singing hymns. There's a lot of local observances that claim to be first in this honoring of the fallen soldiers. Local springtime tributes to the Civil War dead already had been held in various places around the country. One of the first occurred in Columbus, Mississippi on April 25th, 1866, when a group of women visited a cemetery to decorate the graves of Confederate soldiers who had fallen in the Battle of Shiloh. Nearby were the graves of Union soldiers, neglected because they were the enemy. Disturbed by the sight of the bare graves, the women placed some of their flowers on those graves as well. Today, cities in the North and the South claimed to be the birthplace of Memorial Day in 1866. Both Macon and Columbus, Georgia, claimed the title, as well as uh, Richmond, Virginia. The village of Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania, claims it began there two years earlier. A stone in Carbondale, Illinois Cemetery carries the statement that the first Decoration Day ceremony took place there on April 29, 1866. Carbondale was the wartime home of General Logan. Approximately 25 places have been named in connection with the origin of Memorial Day. Many of them are in the South, where most of the war dead are buried. In 1966, Congress and President Lyndon B. Johnson declared Waterloo, New York, the birthplace of Memorial Day. There, a ceremony on May 5, 1866, honored local veterans who had fought in the Civil War. Businesses closed and residents flew flags at half-staff. Supporters of Waterloo's claim say earlier observances in other places were either informal, not community-wide, or one-time events. By the end of the 19th century, Memorial Day ceremonies were being held on May 30th throughout the nation. State legislatures passed proclamations designating the day, and the Army and Navy adopted regulations for proper observances at their facilities. It was not until after World War I, however, that the day was extended to honor those that have died in all American wars. 
1971, Memorial Day was declared a national holiday by an act of Congress, though it's still often called Decoration Day. It was also placed on the last Monday in May, as were some other federal holidays. Some of the southern states also have their days for honoring the Confederate dead. Mississippi celebrates Confederate Memorial Day on the last Monday of April, Alabama on the fourth Monday of April, and Georgia on April 26th. North and South Carolina observe it on May 10th, Louisiana on June 3rd, and Tennessee calls the date Confederate Decoration Day. Texas celebrates Confederate Heroes Day, January 19th, and Virginia calls the last Monday in May Confederate Memorial Day. General Logan's order for his post to decorate graves in 1868 with the choicest flowers of springtime urged, we shall guard their graves with sacred vigilance. Let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. Let no neglect, no ravages of time testify to the present or to the coming generations that we have forgotten as a people the cost of a free and undivided republic. The crowd that attended the first Memorial Day ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery was approximately the same size as those that attend many of today's observances, about 5,000 people. Then as now, small American flags were placed on each grave, a tradition followed as many national cemeteries do this today. In recent years, the custom has grown in many families to decorate the graves of all departed loved ones. The origins of special services to honor those who die in war can be found in antiquity. The Athenian uh, leader of the Percales offered a tribute to the fallen heroes of the Peloponnesian War over 24 centuries ago. And that could be applied today to the 1.1 million Americans who have died in the nation's wars. To ensure the sacrifices of Americans' fallen heroes are never forgotten, in December 2000, the U.S. Congress passed and the President signed into law the National Moment of Remembrance Act, creating the White House Commission on the National Moment of Remembrance. The Commission's charter is to encourage the people of the United States to give something back to their country, which provides them so much freedom and opportunity by encouraging and coordinating commemorations in the United States of Memorial Day and the National Moment of Remembrance. The National Moment of Remembrance encourages all Americans to pause wherever they are at 3 p.m. local time on Memorial Day for a minute of silence to remember and honor those that have died in service to the nation. As the Moment of Remembrance founder, Camela Laspeda, stated, it's a way that we can help put the memorial back into Memorial Day. So that first introduction here of Memorial Day that I've just read to you was from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs in Washington, D.C., and that was excerpts from their paper on the origins of Memorial Day. So I thought it would take a little bit of time now to explore some of the newspaper archives from history around southwest Michigan to share with you some of the early Decoration Day, as it was often called in the beginning. But there was the use of the word Memorial Day way back in the 1880s as well, and they were kind of used interchangeably, Decoration Day and Memorial Day. So you'll see them both referred to in the same newspaper in different articles. If you do the researching of uh, that period of three years 
following the Civil War. So the first article that I came across was published in the Sunday Morning Call out of Battle Creek, Michigan on May 31st, 1885. And the article covers the Decoration Day ceremonies and observances. And it's titled, Not One is Forgot. So the veterans of the War of the Rebellion honor the memory of their departed comrades. Decoration Day was not as generally observed yesterday as in former years. The business places were decorated, but for some unknown reason, few of the stores were patriotic enough to close. This is kind of a a scathing opening to the article, which I thought was kind of interesting. Not a single lodge or society in the city accepted the invitation to participate in the ceremonies. And the Grand Army were the only ones to remember the dead soldiers. Now, this is kind of unusual. This is 1885. uh, This is actually just within about 20 years after the end of the Civil War. So... um, It's kind of interesting. But some of the ceremonies that were held were at the local cemeteries, uh, Oak Hill Cemetery primarily in Battle Creek. And the procession was formed at about 1.30 in the afternoon. And and they started out in front of the Grand Army of the Republic Hall in Battle Creek. And it appears that they held a parade that walked all the way to the cemetery, carrying the American flag draped in mourning. And the street procession was formed by uh, several people from the Grand Army of the Republic, including also the mayor and members of the city council. And there was a wagon load of flowers and two carryalls containing flower girls that were brought along to spread flowers along the way to the cemetery and to uh, honor the fallen soldiers of the Civil War. There was also a choir carriage and a whole procession of citizens in carriages and buggies. So they proceeded all the way down to Oak Hill Cemetery. And the Grand Army of the Republic Hall was somewhere in the downtown area. I don't have the exact address um, to include in this podcast, uh, but it was I believe it was located in the proximity of where the Battle Creek High School is today because there is a historic marker for the Grand Army of the Republic in that location. So they proceeded down to Oak Hill Cemetery and essentially marched all the way down there or rode in carriages. There was one, of course, filled with flowers and another filled with flower girls. There was a a stand that was set up at the cemetery, and I'll just kind of describe to you what they wrote here in the article. On the stand was the orator, the chaplain, marshal of the day, a choir, a German band, the mayor and council, and a number of ladies of the Women's Relief Corps. In front of the stand had been erected a large monument of evergreens. Among the latter were interspersed mandrake blossoms and white lilacs with a wreath of mandrake blossoms over the top, the whole surmounted by an American flag draped in mourning. On a black background in front of the monument and letters formed with crabapple blossoms were the words, Not One Forgot. On the base of the monument, also in crabapple blossoms, were the words, The Unknown. And in front of the speaker's desk, that was more like the post was two crosses of apple blossoms in front of a wreath of evergreens. And in the center was a bunch of apple blossoms. So it was quite a floral-oriented festivity uh, at that point in time in this uh, celebration of Memorial Day. And I think the GAR kind of encouraged that um, because they did choose the date based on the flowering of flowers in spring. And hopefully they would be all in bloom at that time. We all know the fickleness of weather, but 
but uh, in ordinary times uh, without a lot of heavy rain and uh, scorching heat, flowers are typically um, in bloom around that time in the nation. So the band played Hail Columbia and the speaker read an opening address and the chaplain said a prayer, and then they read out the names of what they called the roll call of the roll on high, the call of the roll on high. And this was a list of the fallen soldiers in the Civil War from the Battle Creek community. And as each of the names were called, the flower girls would come forward and deposit flowers at the base of the uh, floral monument where they were all standing. So this was quite um, probably a very moving ceremony. And there was a a tremendous list that's published here in the Sunday morning call. And it looks like a list that's that's close to probably 200 names. So I can't really take time to read all of them. Among them are some notable ones that I recognize. uh, Cornelius Byington, who was a major here from Battle Creek. He was killed over in Knoxville. He was one of the earliest officers recruited from Battle Creek. And so that was one of the names. But there's several other majors that were uh, on this list, as well as many soldiers and infantrymen and sergeants and a whole list. Apparently, the the ceremony probably lasted a couple of hours there at um, Oak Hill Cemetery. So that was quite interesting. And then another article I came across in the Hillsdale Standard, which ran on June 8, 1886. And they were covering all the Decoration Day ceremonies across that area area of the county of Hillsdale. And basically, they uh, they all seem quite favorable, and they seem to be well attended based on all the individual notations. One of the ceremonies they described was somewhat different. They did a eulogy, and they did a uh, choir, and that sort of thing. But as they went through the ceremony, the they walked through the cemetery and laid the flowers after calling the roll call. They would go grave to grave and leave flowers on the graves of the fallen heroes. So that was an interesting approach, and they, they took the entire audience walking through the cemetery, and they also played music and that sort of thing. So that's kind of an interesting um, variation on the ceremony. A lot of the other ones seem to be the bandstand and the presentation in one fixed location, but they uh, apparently went around speaking at the different graves of the fallen soldiers. And they did this at different cemeteries. So they would travel from one cemetery and walk through all the graves of the fallen in that cemetery, and then they would move on over to the next one. What was interesting to note about this article is they also included at that time soldiers that had served in the War of 1812 and the Mexican War. So that was a little different because the first formation of the Grand Army of the Republic seemed to be focusing entirely on decorations. Day on Civil War veterans. But you can see as you look at these old articles that they were evolving to really honor all of the soldiers at that time. And I think the GAR was really, as a whole, as an organization, trying to embrace all of prior veterans of the wars as well. Moving over to St. Joseph, Michigan, in the town and country section of the newspaper, dated June 6, 1885. They described the ceremonies that occurred around the area over there, and there was a decoration services held with 2,000 people congregated at the cemetery to hear the exercises which were carried out, and among the exercises that were held at the 
cemetery was uh, a choir playing music. There was a prayer, as could be expected. There was readings of orders, and there was a decoration of each of the graves. And they had a, a firing salute, as as deemed to be the salute to the dead. Of course, there was a lot of different orations and, and speeches given, and a lot of choir music, and a final benediction to close out the ceremony at the end. So that sounds like it was quite a, uh, a large event at a cemetery to have 2,000 people standing there. And that's quite a uh, turnout. Apparently the weather was really nice on that particular day. Now, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode that the first official Memorial Day or Decoration Day was established as a fixed date on May 30th. So it would fall on different days of the week during that time period. And in May of 1885, it fell on a Saturday. And there's there's a mention of it on a Friday edition of the Marshall's Statesman dated in that time period. And they mentioned that you should remember that tomorrow is Decoration Day. It's a legal holiday in Michigan. This Memorial Day will be duly observed in all parts of the country. Bring flowers, fresh flowers, and strew them profusely upon the silent, rusty places of the brave boys in blue who died that the nation might live. So that was kind of a nice mention of the coming holiday in 1885. Interestingly enough, in 1886, in the Marshall Chronicle, just before Decoration Day, there's mention of President Cleveland expecting to leave Washington Sunday evening, the 30th, for Brooklyn, where he will review the Decoration Day Parade in the afternoon, and also perhaps the parade in New York City. He would attend the exercises in honor of the soldiers at the Academy of Music. So there's always these interesting little windows into the time period and of what was happening around the country when you dig into old newspapers around that time. In the newspaper called The True Northerner, published on June 3rd, 1886, this is a newspaper that was published over in Pawpaw, Michigan. They held a ceremony with a full coronet band and the Bainbridge Drum Corps, as well as choirs, and a musical procession of the drummers was held at the cemetery, and they apparently marched to the cemetery in a parade. And later that evening over in Lawrence, they held a big feast or dinner in the evening after the ceremonies were held at the local cemetery. In the Owasso, Michigan Times of June 4th, 1886, there was a very interesting article written by a member of the Women's Relief Corps. And I'm just going to read you a couple of paragraphs here that she wrote at that time period, which somewhat embraces the feelings that were held for the veterans of the Civil War during that time period. She begins, Years long past, you heard the call, Our country is in danger. Gird on your armor and to battle. In response, you bade adieu to friends and home and said, Our country must and shall be preserved. Who so well as you understand the notes of the bugle call? How much it costs to save a nation 
position can tell so well. In all of your courage and bravery of manhood, you went forth to meet the enemy on his own ground. The full meaning of soldier's life and duty is known to you as no language can portray. The sorrows and sufferings of the conflict you left on the battlefield were consigned to their grave of forgetfulness. In silence and alone, you ponder its fearful pages, lifting thoughts of gratitude to the great preserver that you are still among the living. Quietly you shed a sympathizing tear and thus close its fearful pages, startled by the thought that it is all a reality and not a dream, as it seems. Time and language cannot suffice to tell the half that should be told. You have banded yourself together in one common brotherhood, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from the North to the Far South. Brothers meet brother by the clask of fraternity known to the members of this organization, the Grand Army of the Republic. So that was her tribute to the Grand Army of the Republic, the GAR, on the post-Memorial Day services that were held in Owasso, which, as I said before, kind of shows the sentiment that was held at the time for those soldiers because they left from all these different communities and many of them never came home. It's hard to probably fathom what was felt by those that lived through those times, perhaps as equally as it is to consider the times of other wars that the country has fought and men have left for the service from communities, and sometimes many members of that community never came home as a result. So as this podcast is airing on Memorial Day, I just thought it would be interesting to share some of the insights from earlier time periods like that and give you some of the history of Memorial Day, also known as Decoration Day. And the services that are held are very important. The remembrances at all the graves. And if you have time, take some time to drive through some of the local cemeteries and just observe all the flags that are out there. Particularly take a moment today and do so. Any cemetery that is within your community is likely to have American flags on the graves today. And it really is breathtaking on some of them because you get a sense of the magnitude of the men and the women that have served our country to preserve our freedom in the various wars and answered the call to duty. And if you really, really want a breathtaking experience, go to one of the national cemeteries. There is the Fort Custer National Cemetery over in Augusta, just on the far side of Battle Creek that is probably the most amazing place to drive through on Memorial Day. And they hold many services and ceremonies out there at that time. So check with their website for uh, the times of the services that are going to be held there today. And as always, thank you for listening today to this podcast episode on the origins and the history of Memorial Day, also known as Decoration Day. If you like today's episode, be sure to uh, leave me a review on whatever podcast app that you are listening to this on, as well as, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to me and suggest ideas for future episodes on my podcast, or perhaps you have some historical knowledge and you might be interested in being a guest on my podcast, then reach out to me through my website at michaeldelaware.com, and I'm always happy to hear from you. And I will do my best to answer as promptly as I can when you send me a message. And um, I do get a lot of requests on there for genealogy research and can you help me with that sort of thing, but I don't always have time to do much. I can offer some insight and advice 
sometimes, but I am not in a position to be able to do genealogy research for individual folks. But I am always interested in hearing some tidbits of local history stories, and I always try to make notes of these things to include either in future videos that on my YouTube channel or on my podcast. So that is kind of what I do with that sort of information. So it's not forgotten and it's not uh, ignored. I do have a tremendous amount of people that do reach out to me quite often as since I've been doing this for uh, going on two years now. The podcast I just started in 2022, but the YouTube channel has been going uh, strong for two years on the subject of history. And I do get a lot of people reaching out for suggestions to me on the various activities. And I'm also quite involved these days with the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. So a lot of that all ties in together. So that being said, just uh, reach out to me on uh, michaeldelaware.com and I'd be happy to hear from you. And as always, I hope you'll join me next time as I take another journey into yesterday and discover some more amazing and wonderful tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. Thank you.